Hey, everybody. Happy day. A friend of mine always says that on his podcast. Happy day, everybody. I like the good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be. Oh, hang on. What happens if you listen to it in the evening? It's not daytime. It's nighttime. That's what I'm saying. It's not. He doesn't have it perfect. No. We, we love them over at uh, Decentralized News, but he doesn't have it right because you're ignoring half of the globe. And we That's won't true. do that. We won't do that. However, I'll give you some credit. You've ignored your half of the globe. <laughs> I have no red lines on my Digital Bytes newsletter with the Z. Oh, oh. well, I was not happy. I not almost like... felt like something was wrong because all was right in the world. Well, so for, for regular listeners, you may remember we had an article a couple of weeks ago talking about how if you want to be searched out and found, on the search engines, you mustn't use S. Unfortunately, you've got to go to the dark side and join our cousins across the pond in um, Yankee Doodle Dandy Land, and everything goes Z or Z, Liza Minnelli, um, and basically revolutionize, monetize, digitize, tokenize any any eyes you think of. Don't use your S, use your Z, and you'll find more people will find you. Google has revolutionized Ooh. the search experience. <laughs> So, James, good to be back on the air. And this week, um, well, coming up after the break, um, actually, for many of you who will think it's fairly dull, I think it's probably one of the most important articles that we've done for a while because it's talking about how blockchain technology and digital assets are coming to the derivatives world. And this is actually um, the first time, probably the last time, that um, the Brits have more than the Americans because if you're in the UK, a quadrillion has 25 zeros, but the Americans can get away with only 18. But whether it's 18 or 25, $1.2 quadrillion worth of assets is huge. Wait so a minute. Let's... Stop, 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 stop. Oh, oh, sorry. You're telling me. <laughs> Wait a minute. I This is new information to me. You're Read telling all me if I go to your side of the world and I have a quadrillion dollars on me, you're going to yep. tell me I don't? You don't. No, you're, you're seven, seven zeros um, too short. This is mine. Between your S's and your Z's, <laughs> now numbers are different? Of course numbers are different, yeah. So what is you know, my quadrillion? I don't know. Well, it's not as big as my quadrillion. Well, actually, your quadrillion is the same as my quadrillion, but I just need more noughts to say it's a quadrillion. This is, I got robbed. I got robbed by going over a C. I got confused. All right. I have to uh, pay attention to that one. Brilliant. So, yeah, so that's Token of Eight with Richard Barker coming up after the break. And he's going to talk about how maturing blockchains can speed up settlement um, and also improve collateral management. And I think this is really important because very often we talk about blockchain technology being used um, because it's faster, it's more efficient, or it may be cheaper. But when you're dealing in the financial service sector, if this, this thing called collateral management or, or risk management is super, super important. And if a company that's regulated can have a system and a procedure which is not only cheaper, but it's safer, it's more compliant, it's less risk, then that, that's kind of the uh, nirvana, the holy grail for, um, you know, for a board, because that's what they're looking to do. But that's coming after the break. But we've also got um, in a couple of articles talking about Web3 in social networking. Um, one of your favorites, uh, James, which I know you're going to kick off in a second, celebrity endorsements of cryptocurrencies and non-fungible tokens. We've seen all sorts of hassles um, of some of the celebrities getting involved in that and pumping and dumping tokens and what have you. Um, and then a, another subject, which I've always found interesting, um, you know, the end of the US dollar, what comes next? So we're going to have a little bit of a history lesson talking about how the mighty greenback um, you know, it's it's time is up potentially, but um, you know, we'll look at a sneak preview and what might happen. And um, in essence, we believe it's all about digital. But uh, James, can I get you to what's this celebrity endorsement? What, what's all that about? And what are they? They've been sort of pumping and dumping and you know, encouraging people to buy cryptos and NFTs. Yeah, it's as if like the world isn't bad enough with with from Mount Gox all the way to FTX. Everything in between. The last thing we need, I've always said this, and, and I'm going to be unfiltered. Sorry. 
I dislike greatly when the village idiot gets involved in any industry where they don't belong. Now, you might say, well, that sounds mean, right? Tom Brady is perfectly good at balancing a checkbook. That's fine. But when we are using celebrities to be high-dollar paid influencers, but we're accomplishing the same thing. It doesn't matter if you're BitBoy. Everybody loves Ben, BitBoy. And we won't even go there. Don't buy any. Here's financial advice. Don't buy anything that a guy named Ben out of the woods in Georgia tells you to buy. It's just, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. So now we have money. We're, we're Binance, right? And we can hire Cristiano Ronaldo and his NFT collection. Listen, I don't pretend. Do you know who Ronaldo is, though? Because he plays football, not soccer. It's football. Football, soccer, quadrillion, a billion. There's no Z in his name, so we're okay. But yes, he plays, he plays football. I don't pretend to be an expert in orthodontics, right? I don't know anything about braces or teeth. I don't even know if that's the right career move. Yeah, dentists, whatever. So if I hire some guy to tell everybody NFTs are where to go. Here's my NFT. It's a celebrity announcement. I'm celebrity. We do this with elections. We do this with uh, selling cars, right? We do this with public uh, PSAs, right? Don't do drugs. I'm George Michael. And, and that's, and that message is fine, but we're hiring these people it's ingenuine. It's not genuine at all. It's to get people to throw their money at something. And here's the real problem. I'll, I'll let you chime in. Here's the real problem. They're not teaching people how to do it. Right? So if you say, I'm James Tiley, you should buy this NFT. Uh, it's going to be worth billions of dollars. A, I've just violated the law. I'm not financial analyst. Uh, not licensed financially to give advice, right? I'm just some sports player. Uh, so he's going to it's going to be worth so much money, and Binance is going to be behind it. And these kids are like, "Shut up and take my money." They don't have wallets. They don't. They have to go to Binance to buy their crypto. Maybe there's a fiat on ramp. It's they don't know the risk. The risk. Is, it's too young. It's too young of a market for... It, the best example is Elon Musk and Dogecoin. I personally don't do it. Just You don't want to hold an asset. You don't want to hold an automotive stock if for some reason you believe that car... Is a piece of crap. However, Tony Robbins drives one. Don't don't do that. It's you're taking advantage of people. And NFTs, we already know, in my opinion, not everybody's opinion, but my opinion, that when it became pictures of monkeys, they destroyed what they really could be. Yeah. They 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 kind of cross the um, the line, in my opinion, because, well, as we've said many times, non-fungible tokens really ought to be digital certificates. They're not, you know, fungible is a funny old word. And just when you begin to understand what fungible is, then you're told, no, no, it's not that. It's the opposite. It's non-fungible. Um, and and I, I, do, I do have some sympathy with you that um, this is a frightfully confusing concept, sort of a, a, a non-fungible token. And then you say, oh, but don't worry, yeah, Ronaldo or Elon Musk or whoever are making out that it's fine. So I'll, I'll you know, or whether it's crypto is the same, I'll, I'll just trust that it's all OK. Um, at the end of the day, it is a form of investing, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. And you don't get um, celebrities saying, look, go out and buy uh, Bank of America shares or BNP shares or 
you know, whatever, um, because it can get misconstrued. Um, you know, Ronaldo, he gets just under 2.4 million every time he does a an Instagram post. Why? Because he's got lots and lots of people that follow him and say, and watch what he does and maybe has his hair cut or the, the clothes he wears or, or whatever. And that's true with, uh, you know, look at the Kardashians and the and the image and the reputation they have. And that's why people that have got a large number of following on social media get paid so much money. I think The Rock, Don Johnson, I think he gets paid over a million dollars. And if he's seen there, you know, having a creamy cheese or a type of beer or a type of coffee, then he gets paid a shed load. So I think you have to be really, really careful when it comes to money and the influence that some of these celebrities have. But nevertheless, it, it does go on, James. So. I think that's one we'll agree on. And, um, and God forbid, if you're a celebrity listening to this right now, remember what Dwayne The Rock Johnson is going through right now because of what he did in Hawaii, right? You could lose your fans quicker than you gain them. At, take a look at Shaquille O'Neal, Tom Brady, uh, all of the FTX guys, right? At one point, the SEC wants to investigate you for promoting a, a security sale. And now all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm just a dumb actor. Why, why are you attacking me? Because you are a dumb actor. Don't get involved in a business that you have no role being in. Yeah. Well, it's the old, old story. Don't, don't get involved in something you don't understand. And, and that's true of many, many walks of life, but particularly when it comes to your money. Um, if you don't understand it, it's probably not for you. Um, but there you go. But having said that, a lot of people hold US dollars, and I reckon that its time is coming to an end. Um, and we did a little bit of um, just a little bit of history and went back to, believe it or not, 1250 to the Italians to Florence when the Florentine and Florin um, actually was the was the main form of currency. Then the, the Italians came along with the Venetian Ducat. And then the Portuguese real and the Spanish real and the Dutch gold of the French leave and then pound sterling. And that really brings us up to sort of, um, you know, somewhere around about 1920s, 1930s. And since then, the US dollar has been the world reserve currency. Now, a lot of people are saying, oh, but it's going to be replaced by Bitcoin or some other crypto. I personally, James, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but what I do think, and the reason we've written about it in this week's Digital Bytes, is that I think that what we're going to see is a digital currency that will replace the US dollar. And the reason the US dollar is going to get replaced is just simply the gargantuan sums of debt that the US now currently has at a, at a corporate level, personal level, government level. And people are eventually going to say, do you know what? I no longer want to. I don't, I've lost confidence. I don't think the Americans will be able to repay that debt. So I'm going to hold my money in something else. I'm going to hold it in maybe gold-backed instrument, or I'm going to hold it in, you know, we mentioned, um, we looked at what happened with BRICS, the, the Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. Um, they had their conference back in July this year, and um, there's obviously been talk about them. You know, they've got 47% of the world's population growing because they've got young populations. And that they could come up with some sort of alternative solution. So I don't think anyone can tell you what's going to replace it, but it will get replaced. And if that does happen, um, you know, you're going to see the US dollar depreciate. You're going to see higher borrowing costs, all sorts of hassle with global trade and financial markets. And it's going to be a big geopolitical shift. You know, if you look at, I think the sovereign wealth funds now in the Middle East are something in the excess of something like $7 trillion dollars. As high oil prices, um, you know, we've got oil prices around about 85, 90 bucks a, a barrel at the moment. Those could go a lot higher and pump even more money into these geopolitical, relatively unstable economies. But they're, they're hoovering up all sorts of assets and they're going to say, do we really want the US dollar? And if they dump their treasury holdings, that they because they're the current biggest holders, them and the Japanese, if they start dumping their US treasury holdings, that's going to put even more pressure on the US dollar. Higher interest rates, higher interest rates mean pressure from the US government because they've got to put more and more of their money to repay their debt. So it becomes, if you like, a, a virtual spiral of death, which is not great news for the US dollar. Since you got me all hyped up and uh, <laughs> I'm on a roll. 
here's you don't have to maintain any political opinion uh, in this country over here in the U.S. to understand that we have completely destroyed this dollar. It's ruined. Yeah. It really is. It's the the U.S. dollar currently is the board ape NFT. It is we are we are destroying it because we're abusing it and we're getting those um, panic. Panic is setting in. You could come here and like you said, oil is going to go back up 80, 90, a hundred dollars a barrel. We, uh, we have plenty of families in the U S that can't afford peanut butter. I think I made the joke in the past that peanut butter is eight bucks a jar. Yep. Right. Five gallon, $5 for a gallon of milk gas. Forget about it. They got, I got an EV. So uh, this is the first time in 40 years, I would say, give or take 40 years, my life, where regular people, the guy who lives next door to you, the people you go to work with, they know at least they have an understanding of what the G20 is, the IMF, the World Bank. 25, 30 years ago, no teenager knew who Jerome Powell was or whoever held that role. So going back to, you know, Web3, social networking, celebrity endorsements and crypto, we're more well-rounded today because of information. And we're finding we're out... We're well confused. Right. And we're, we're finding out that all this information that we have access to is really bad news. We're giving money to we're, countries owe us money. We owe them money. They're weaponizing the dollar. And yeah. this is what BRICS is really about. If you, at my opinion, we weaponized the dollar and Brazil and Russia, India, China, Saudi Arabia, and apparently two dozen other countries would like to be involved. They're like, yeah, we're tired of this. No more. Well, who are they tired of, Johnny? Who is it? Are they tired of themselves? I think they've all got different motives and different reasons. But you know, I, the I days... think you're tired of the U.S. dollar. Well, well, James, if you if you look at there's a, there's actually a website called pgpf.org, and it's the National Debt Clock, and it's currently showing that every single person in America. They basically have ninety, nearly just under ninety nine thousand dollars worth of debt, and that's their proportion of the national debt in America. And these Easily. these numbers are, are are massive, they're absolutely massive. And the trouble is, when you borrow money off someone, eventually, eventually, you've got to repay it. Now, there's there, there's a couple of ways you can repay the debt, or you get rid of debt. You either just say, we're not repaying you. And we've seen that many times in Latin America, in Africa and places like that. Or you grow your economy and, you know, like a good citizen, like a good provide some that borrowed debt, you pay your money back. And you say, thank you very much. Um, China, Japan, you know, countries like that will pay back the money that we've borrowed from you. Doesn't often happen when it comes to government debt, I have to be honest. Or what do you do? You bring back that dreaded word inflation, because if you can inflate, have a dose of inflation, let's say running at 10 percent, suddenly the, your, your value of debt, your debt is fixed. But the, your economy has hopefully grown by 10 percent, let's say. And so therefore, in absolute terms, your, your debt is getting lower and lower. So who benefits most from high inflation? Governments, because they've got the most debt. You know, why is. Why is a stable monetary environment 2%? A stable monetary environment is zero. That's the word, stable. Yet governments all around the world have been saying, oh, we're going to go for stable monetary environment and we want inflation to go up by 2%. Well, that's not stable. It means your, your capital is eroding by 2% per annum. But they want that because they've got so much debt. But eventually people will say, for whatever reason, I don't trust, I don't want to hold my assets in, in the US dollar. We, we, it happened time and time again. It happened as I started at the beginning of the article. It started with pound sterling. It started with a French livre. It started with a Dutch guilding. You know, 
all the way back to 1250 with the um, with the money coming out of Florence. So this isn't anti-America by any means. Um, but it, what it is, it is saying, what would you do as a listener, as an individual or running a business, if suddenly next year people say, well, the US dollar is no longer the world reserve currency because it's not going to happen like a light switch. What you're going to see is higher and higher interest rates in order to support and prop up the dollar. And people more and more saying, I don't want to pay. And as a sort of a segue into, so why are we writing about it? Well, we're writing about it because we believe that whatever replace it will be number one digital. But number two, look what is happening with some of the big payment providers. Look what's, keep your ears open for Cybos in Toronto at the end of September, because they'll be talking about what's going on with people such as SWIFT. We can actually handle and manage any central bank digital currency or any other digital asset. Look what Visa are doing. We're now connecting blockchains to move digital assets around. Look at what MasterCard announced back in June with their multi-token network. We, we now want to create a situation, an environment whereby payments can be made using tokens, tokens of value. You know, we're almost going back to that bartering system of, you know, a basket of um, you know, bread will be swapped for a bushel of corn. But it won't be baskets and bread and corn. It's going to be digital, a digital share in your mutual funds or a digital part of your house or a digital part of your health records or a digital part of your car. And that's where the NFTs come back in, James, that we're both a little bit cynical about, because actually a digital certificate of something tangible that you own will be able to be used as a form of transfer. And it's nothing to do with the US dollar. It's based on a physical asset. So that's that's where we I think that's where we're heading. And if you look at if say Swift, Visa, MasterCard, they seem to be saying a similar thing that they want to be part of that payments network and not just reliant on basically a debt instrument, which is cash. Because cash ultimately is is backed by a promise to pay you back the money. I don't have your money, but I promise I'll pay it back. So it's a bit of a confidence trick. And as long as you've got confidence in the dollar or pounds or yen or whatever, then that's fine. You can use them. As soon as confidence goes, wow, that's when you see a run on the money and people then start panicking. Yeah, it was only uh, 1950s, right, that that changed where we weren't backed by anything. Uh, yeah. It was silver back and gold back back then. Yep. Um, and don't get me wrong. Yeah, the, U- the U.S. dollar, not the U.S., the U.S. dollar. is, pr- And I agree, it's going to be a basket, even in the simplest terms of a now instead of trading the dollar, it's going, or instead of buying a car with a dollar, it might be the U.S. Euro combined mini basket, and we'll call it we'll call it basket. How much does this car cost? Thirty five thousand baskets, and and we'll trade it as BSKT. I'd be fine with that. There's, you're right. It's going to be digital. It's got to be backed, I think, by more than one thing to create a conglomerate of money. That's where I so, would go. Yeah. All right. Well, look, James, enough of us agreeing with each other and rabbit nonks. Normally we disagree. I much prefer that. Getting a bit worried. You're, you're either becoming anglicized or I'm becoming more Americanized. Well, maybe somebody so, will reach out to me on LinkedIn. And, right. <laughs> so <laughs> tell them to yell at us on LinkedIn. That guy's crazy. He's anti-American. He doesn't know anything. Fire him. Send me those emails. Tell me you're listening. Absolutely. And if there's a topic you want us to cover, then please contact James Tiley, T-Y-L-E-E, or myself, Johnny Fry, F-R-Y. We're both on LinkedIn. Always great to hear from you. And we write Digital Bytes every week, looking at how, where, why, and who are using digital assets and blockchain technology. And it covers all sorts of industries and countries. And every week we do a, a, a newsletter that goes out. So if you want to get a copy, just go to digitalbytes.substack.com. Or tell James or I, and we'll get you on that list, and you, you can receive it. And now, who are you about to sit down with? It's uh, not with me. Richard Richard Baker, we're from Tokenovate, and he's going to be talking about how the blockchain technology and digital assets are increasingly being used in the derivatives industry. So we're back to our quadrillion and slight um, confusion of the number of noughts we should be using. Yes, yeah, I'm just going to pay attention because I want to make sure that I know how much money I actually have. You know, when I come visit with my quadrillion dollars. Excellent. 
All right. We'll uh, be back on after this short break. But thank you for listening to this week's Digital Bytes. And we'll be back just after this uh, short break. This week, absolutely delighted to be um, joined by Richard Baker, who is founder of a company called Token Ovate. Richard, I hope I've said that right. And you've written an article about how maturing blockchains can speed up settlement and improve collateral management. Flipping it, that's a bit of a mouthful. It is. Yeah. Well, company names a mouthful and, and the topic is a mouthful. Well, firstly, Johnny, thank you for inviting me. Real pleasure to be on this. It's uh, It's been a little while in the making, so I really appreciate you inviting us in. Well, um, but yeah, a- exciting. Um, we've, got, we've got a lot going on at Tokenovate. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the origin of that name as we as we get into this. Well, can you start off by saying, um, as Scylla Black, you say, you know, who you are, where you come from? You know, how did you get into this uh, mad, bad world of <laughs> blockchains and all that sort of stuff? Oh, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting story. Uh, well, firstly, I live in the UK. I'm based in Cambridge in the UK. The accent that you, your listeners will hear is Irish. I, I was born and grew up in Southern Ireland, County Cork. Right. Um, we do serve the best pint of Guinness in Cork, by the way. You do. Um, you not at rugby either at the moment, are you? Yeah, this is true. Yes, it's exciting. It all starts very, very shortly. Uh, but no, uh, a technologist by background, Johnny. Uh, I'm, I'm trained electronics engineer. Uh, grew up a little bit in the merchant navy as a radio officer. Moved over into telecoms for 14, 15 years. So worked for big corporations uh, at the heyday, really, of building the the first phase of the internet. So w- I was with optical networking um, around the world, building the infrastructure for big telcos in the 90s and early 2000s. Ventured onto my own thing, really, in financial services uh, originally in 2009. So I was fortunate enough to found and build a company called Clear Trade Exchange, which was a regulated futures market in Singapore, um, and founded that on the back of reading the Dodd-Frank Act and the early drafts for MIFID II, Johnny, would you believe? Um, so felt felt I could operate a new uh, exchange trading venue for commodities, and indeed that that's what we did. We became a, a fully regulated futures market with MAS in Singapore. So what and sort of commodities? That, that soft, soft commodities, or what sort of commodities was that then? It was it was uh, it was industrial commodities actually. So a lot of it was orientated around uh, the dry bulk shipping market so we listed uh, dry bulk freight and so dry dry and wet tankers and containers yeah but then all of i guess commodities that were either consumed by those vesicles or or were shipped on those vessels so we did iron ore steel uh, thermal coal coking coal bunker bunker oil uh, absolutely thoroughly enjoyed that market ran, ran that business for 7 years and sold it to Deutsche Bohr's group in 2016 and so it it sits Nicely today under uh, one of Deutsche Bohr's group companies called the European Energy Exchange. Got it. Got it. OK. All right. So you've been in the sort of exchange and um, alternative investments yeah. for a while then. Yeah, that, that was that was the journey, really, or journey one, I suppose, of, you know, what were bilaterally traded over the counter uh, instruments in all of those markets between between counterparties. And, that, and I think as regulation changed in 2013, um, a lot of those instruments became centrally cleared. And that brought in, you know, opportunities to kind of maybe do digitization phase one. And so uh, the, the business I built, we were a cloud operating exchange. We ran our central limit order book and our give up services out of Microsoft Azure way back then. And mm-hmm. we were one of the very first companies to do that. And uh, but, the, you know, the industry, you may recall back then was was hot with things like straight through processing to clearing houses. Whoa, um, radical stuff. Radical stuff, um, but it, it was it was a real adventure. But it was it was it was really necessary. You know, at the end of the day, you were trying to de-risk the life cycle of a trade. And so, from the point that it's 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 captured and 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 brought together in the pre-trade process, ultimately, it's how do you register that trade efficiently into a clearinghouse or into a, a custody facility, and then allow that 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 life cycle of the trade to be managed efficiently. But as we know. That that has generated, unfortunately, today a lot of um, disparate systems and uh, handoffs across that ecosystem over the last 10, 15 years. So there's lots of databases involved. There's lots of risk systems, reporting systems. So it's today not really that efficient, to be honest. Right. So I guess it was that history um, that that made me think about building Tokenovate. Um, but to answer your other question, I first got involved with blockchains in 2015 i was looking at it 
for my business then as a possible solution for how we might run settlement and clearing in a different way? Could we use blockchain technology as a settlement layer? Mm -hmm. um, to be honest, back in 2015, it, the technology wasn't ready, so we didn't do it. Um, but I stayed with 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 exploring blockchain and particularly one version of blockchain, which is the original Bitcoin protocol. And I say it as a technologist, it is a protocol first, uh, a, a blockchain second and a token, a distant, distant, distant third. Um, and But it is probably the most confusing and misunderstood technology protocol that I've experienced in 30, 35 years of, of being in the technology industry. And so, okay, um, can, I, can I come in there then? So, because yeah. we have a real selection of listeners here on, on you know, this is going out in conjunction with, um, you know, our sister business, Cyber.fm, which is the online radio station I mentioned to you based in the US, going to about 170 countries. So we've got some real experts and some real techies, or I, I call them the geeks. And we've also got, um, my mum listens to this, age 89. So she's got no idea when you start talking about tokens and protocols. And Can you just very simply just go through those? Because I think that could well help people then understand we'll get into your article. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, let, let's, let's maybe um, break it down into technologies we understand today. So when you and I, Johnny, open our, you know, our laptop computers yep. and, you know, our, our Wi-Fi uh, connects in the background. You know, you and I aren't involved in uh, other than an interface saying, yes, select a particular name of a Wi-Fi. But my computer ultimately goes on and does a whole bunch of communications in the background to get an IP address and to set itself up on the network and go off and start sending messages. Right. So when we talk about protocols, that's a protocol in the background. It undertakes a set of logical functions, establishes connectivity exchanges messages and and sets up permission structures says okay richard's computer is this name it's on this network and you know i'm permissioned or i have permission my data to be broadcast across that network if you like right so at one level you know when we're talking now in modern terms about uh, protocols that are blockchains we are still talking about uh, technology that is establishing foundations of modern infrastructure how do you establish the principles of uh, communication, the exchange of some value, the exchange of some trust. So I, I think to try and demystify blockchain technology, I, I would start to translate it in, in that capacity. Firstly, Johnny. Got it. Um, now, when we talk about, OK, I've, I've got a protocol and it allows the transmission of value. And in a, in a blockchain, it's, it's, it's doing that in a particular way. Firstly, it is one single instance of a common database that everybody sees at the same time. And and a blockchain has been invented to say, actually, what is the most important thing to achieve, I guess, in in the undertaking of a buyer or seller at meeting each other is that you want a common consensus of the event. So when you and I exchange value and say, yes, let's let's do something, what we don't want is numerous databases holding the same record and trying to correlate it or match it up at the end. Actually, it would be more beneficial that at the start of the event, it's all on the same database at the same time. So it's a common consensus layer. And again, right. that's the other most significant thing that a blockchain brings to uh, the world, but certainly to financial services. Right. So and then, sorry, go on. Yeah, and then and then the final part of that is is in your company name, the token bit. Yeah, and 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 yeah. So tokens. So today. Uh, tokens are becoming, you know, digital forms of underlying assets, yep. and they can be anything. We can tokenize cash, mm -hmm. uh, we can tokenize property, we can tokenize bonds, mm -hmm. and indeed, all of these things are happening around the world at the moment. And we'll come back to why in a second. Um, and yeah, for for Tokenovate, I, I looked at, uh, I guess, putting a few of these things together, uh, and and all founders try and be a little bit clever with their own company names, but. It was the, the the bringing together of in a world of derivative trading, what is the the common uh, legal activity that happens in a derivative is that you're novating <laughs> the legal responsibility and the obligations of a contract it, um, often. So when counterparties come together and they use a clearinghouse, you novate your trade into the clearinghouse. So one part of our name is novation because I yep. am undertaking the function of no let of novation through uh, the concept of tokenizing an asset. 
mm. and tokenizing the trade. Very clever. Very. Cl- you obviously came up with that name after a few Guinnesses. Uh, I think I think a few Guinness were involved. Yes, oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> okay well look, richard i i mean this i, I we, we've not met before i have to be honest but i really do mean this generally i'm i'm really pleased you've come on the show because um there's been a lot of focus in the press with the regulators and 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 community at large about cryptocurrencies um and yeah. i can understand you know people have made a lot made and lost a lot of money but it's only one trillion dollars um and so i'm particularly interested in hearing a little bit more from yourself about the derivatives market, because depending on who you listen to, it could be worth as much as 1.2 quadrillion. I'm Absolutely. not sure what that is. It's a lot of noughts, but it's a huge asset class, arguably the biggest asset class in the world. And, and you're now doing, you're bringing the blockchain technology to make it more efficient, speed it up, and hopefully possibly make it cheaper to trade. Is, is that, in a nutshell, is that correct? That's it. In a nutshell, you've nailed it. Yeah, it, it's huge, Johnny. So you're, you're really right to point this out. So I think what people don't realize, a derivative obviously is um, is used across more or less every asset class that's traded in the world. So whether we're talking about interest rates or fixed income or bonds or credit uh, or commodities, you know, all of those underlying uh, fundamental assets have been complemented with some form of a futures contract or a forward contract or a, or a swap product that is exchanging value or or giving a hedging solution a risk management solution and derivatives are used for those purposes i'm either using a derivative uh, to help me risk manage uh, an underlying asset or or i'm using it to hedge risk into the future on a forward or a future right. and so yes it's, it's a global a global product a derivative and it, it is in the quadrillions today okay and, and i think that's the, on... that's but that's the other important point i think richard is that a lot of people that know a little bit about sort of financial markets and then you say oh the derivatives market they glaze over and they say oh that's super risky and you know people can make and lose a fortune which yes to be fair they can but essentially derivatives um have come about as indeed options as indeed futures have come about as a form of insurance as a form of risk management haven't they they have very much so yeah you know back in my old days when i was building my exchange you know we we would be, be dealing with buyers and sellers that were fundamentally digging iron ore out of Australia and shipping it on a train physically across Australia and putting it in a ship and sending it up to China to a steel mill. And the steel mill was buying the iron ore because they run, you know, a big melting pot. They put thermal coal underneath the pot. They yep. put coking coal and iron ore in the pot and out comes steel. And so, you know, that's that's a complex of commodities that that effectively the buyer, the steel mill and the seller, the iron ore company would come to the financial markets and hedge their risk on all of those products. Right. And they're really hedging the prices, but they're also hedging the time delay associated to shipping it from Australia up to China. Got it. And you know, I'm using that as a as a real world example. But derivatives are very, very important part of our financial services backbone. They They help. Uh, actors come in and out of the market on a daily basis, whether it's our pension funds or, you know, our our money markets or indeed, the, as I've just said, the, the com- commodities markets. And so we're really passionate about helping those industries reduce cost, uh, but 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 significantly become a lot more efficient through digitization of the workflows. It's boring stuff. This is process re-engineering, I suppose. Yeah, but today a lot of those counterparties around the world will use a common legal contract, and this is a contract that's been around since the early 1980s. It's something called the ISDA, and this that stands for International Swaps and Derivatives Association. But a master ISDA agreement underpins the vast majority of that one quadrillion dollar derivatives market today. Um, and that that has largely been in paper form. So when counterparties enter a trade, they'll sign a paper contract and then they'll have a few schedules that describe, you know, the risks and liabilities and what happens in the event of a bankruptcy or a default. And so every derivative is, is underpinned more or less by an ISDA. And so we started this business and collaborated with ISDA uh, 18 months ago to start to, to take ISDA in its digital form. So it's now expressed in code that that legal contract is expressed in code. And at Tokenovate, we take that uh, code 
as an expression, if you like, of a logic system. So it's, it's, a, it's a set of conditional logic outputs. And it says, in the event that this happens, do the following things. So it's like a flowchart. It's like a flowchart. Um, and we take that logic system and we now deploy it into smart contracts, which are just uh, scripting language. It's, so yep. it's, it's using a scripting language to write a series of smart contracts. And each of those smart contracts is, is a micro small event. And we write that event as it happens to a blockchain. Got it. And what that means is that we can signal very early on that, you know, a buy and a sell has come together and it, it comes with the following economic and legal expectations. And we can signal the system to say, well, these are all of the expected conditions and therefore the smart contracts can automate how you de-risk and run that contract in the market. And I say it this way, Johnny, because uh, industry gets really excited about the super sexy bit, which is setting up the trade and building a brand new trading system or a new exchange order book system. Unfortunately, for the vast majority of people in the market, maintaining the trade over its lifetime is the more painful part. Yeah. And this is where all the complex risk systems and revaluation systems and reporting systems come in. And that gets less time and attention. So it's often referred to as the mid and back office or the post-trade processes. And so we, we use smart contracts to automate and look after the life cycle of the trade. And that's important because if it's a 30-year bond or a 10-year interest rate, there's a lot of events that happen on a daily basis to maintain that position. So that, that's what Tokenovate specializes in. We help digitize uh, the life cycle of the trade to, to ensure that its economic and its legal expectations are fulfilled digitally. Okay, and bearing in mind this is a, a, a global industry, the derivatives industry, um, and I think we were looking at some analysis recently that um, something like 80% of all global trade is carried out using English law. Presumably you've got the opportunity to effectively sort of sell token rate um, on a global basis, wherever people are, are, are trading or wherever certainly people are using derivatives, um, you, you can help them make their systems and processes, hopefully not just faster and cheaper, but a little bit more robust and, and less risky. Absolutely. And and uh, this is a really interesting topic that's been been debated for quite a few years. But uh, again, maybe for, for global listeners, let's let's keep it normal, which is, yes, I think English law has traveled around the world for, for various historic reasons, not necessarily always good. Um, I say that as an Irishman. Um, but uh, it is the backbone. It is 80% of the backbone of a lot of uh, uh, financial services, certainly, but also global trade. Yeah. And uh, the UK Law Commission over the last couple of years completed uh, over the summertime this year something called the Digital Trade Act. And the Digital Trade Act came through Parliament in the United Kingdom and has been enshrined into law, but contained in that Digital Trade Act was the legal definition of something called the smart legal contract. And what's what's relevant for this? Well, it's, it's about modernizing commerce. It's about modernizing trade to recognize that things are now happening digitally and contracts can be signed digitally, exchanged digitally. Um, but more importantly, what it's really getting at is that existing legal structures exist even though you're expressing a contracting code meaning bankruptcy law insolvency law common law will still apply to that smart legal contract um even though it's in digital form and that that was a really significant step that the uk law commission achieved in the uk yeah and we we, we follow that closely and we can see that having very significant global impact and indeed other Nations in the world are now looking at that work and are following very similar steps. But I think the reason I highlight that, Johnny, is that, you know, if you and I are entering into a contract, you know, we have tried and trusted history in common law and bankruptcy law and insolvency law and property law. If I own a piece of land, you know, it falls today under property law. And if I have a problem, I want to be able to go to, uh, you know, a court and exercise my rights over that property. And when we tokenize assets, we should expect exactly the same frameworks and the same things to be able Correct. to work for us. Yeah. Well, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, if we would have had this conversation, um, to be fair, even six months ago, um, you know, there, there was uncertainty around, you know, a lot of people said, well, a smart contract's not smart and it's not even a contract. But I think, you know, we've now had some clarity on that. We've now had some clarity again from the 
um, the Law Commission of England Wales talking about, um, you know, the, the definition of or, or the legal definitions and ramifications of digital assets. So, um, you know, that your time has come in the sense that now is the time that we're seeing institutions almost every day we're seeing um, you know, different institutions coming out and, and being much more active in terms of using blockchain technology or DLTs. Um, but wh- where are you as a business? Where do you see, I hate the expression, but I will use it, you know, the low hanging fruit? Where do you, where do you see the, the first obvious places that you can take and go and attract customers then? Yeah, no, look, firstly, there's there's been uh, n- no end of excitement and adoption in in you know in traditional financial services i think there isn't a month that hasn't gone by this year where i haven't seen an updated report on uh, how many assets are going to be digitized tokenized and expressed in smart legal contracts and traded on a blockchain i think the future of finance markets globally are being rebuilt at the moment and so we we participate in this through the concept of a you know a macro story if you like of what has been known as traditional financial market infrastructure is becoming distributed financial market infrastructure. So we're we're a modern technology company um, participating in that broader transformation. I think what we're seeing early on is is there's a lot of pain still in the uh, area of collateral management and settlement. You know, the concept of getting from T plus two in terms of when my trade um, is is subject to collateral and margin, and and ultimately I'm trying to get to finality settlement. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still a lot of operational dwell time caught up in that process, Johnny. So we see probably most interest in how do you compress and digitize what's going on in clearing settlement, collateral management, and and effectively eradicating those time delays and those operational inefficiencies in that layer. Um. So we, we spend a lot of time looking at that problem statement and, and have a very strong opinion on how assets can be expressed in digital form. So we, we have a technique of being able to represent an underlying asset for collateral purposes as a digital twin. We codify in the digital twin the very detailed attributes of the underlying asset. Um, and when we do that, we can express that asset then as a new proxy of value, a new expression of value in a fractionalized way. And, and in a fractionalized way, we can then have the smart contract library manage that asset as it needs to be posted for initial margin or variation margin, or, or indeed just as, as collateral under uncleared rules. Uh, and, and we can automate the settlement process and the trade reporting that goes with that. Got it. And, and that process alone makes up a very large part of mid and back office functions for every bank and every asset manager in the world. And it is where a lot of money is operationally currently timed. Um, and so transforming that first, I think, is is quite a significant focus for Token of Eight. OK, I, I take another leap for, for a second. But what we're also seeing is the rise of new asset classes, Johnny. And I think. It would be really pretty criminal if we saw brand new asset classes coming to market in traditional ways. And here I'm talking about things like the voluntary carbon credit market. Yep. So as we now see voluntary carbon credit probably about to become the largest new asset classes in the world, I think it's going to be much bigger than traditional oil and gas uh, traded volumes. Uh, we've seen a lot of forecasts in this market, but it's spanning 193 countries. There's a challenge ahead in how you develop global liquidity. Every sovereign nation wants to protect their own carbon sinks. But we are going to see those carbon sinks get tokenized and brought on to global liquidity networks in digital form. And so that that should be a digital first asset class. It shouldn't be subject to a a historic way of working. So I I think we're seeing those two as our most significant opportunities in the short term. Right, right. I, well, and I, th- I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. We are going to see, without a doubt, other other assets being digitized. Um, you know, in terms of uh, historically, personal information w- was was monetized by the fangs, the Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google. But there's no reason why, in time, we can't see our own personal, whether it's our spending patterns, whether it's our healthcare data, whether it's our driving data. You know, they will be digitized, tokenized, and I, I think this is. 
Um, you may well have seen it recently. Uh, MasterCard have um, created a new network called the uh, multi-token network because they see potentially tokenization of assets being used as a form of payment. Um, and not that it'll necessarily replace cash, but it'll offer an alternative way that people, uh, in a funny way, almost going back to the bartering that we had, you know, if you go back sort of uh, nearly 3,000 years ago before we had um, physical forms of money in terms of coins, um, people would barter a bushel of coin for, a, you know, a, uh, maybe a basket of um, bread or something like that. And, and now we're doing oh. a similar thing. So, um, but really interesting um, would love to try and get you to come back um, maybe in oh, six months or so, um, because I think there's not enough people talking about this topic. And I know at some level people say, yeah, but I'm not I'm not into derivatives. And I know you're not as a listener, but it will impact on you know you because it means that if I don't know, the, the Kellogg's cornflakes can actually you know hedge and buy and sell commodities more efficient and cheaper, then potentially they can reduce the cost of a packet of cornflakes. It's, it's as simple as yeah. that, isn't it, Richard? It is, yeah. And and we've all been subject to that, unfortunately, with, with you know, the Ukraine-Russian war. We, we've seen the commodities markets being used heavily for, for risk management. A lot of, you know, fertilizer products, a lot of grains, and, and certainly, you know, our our, our power infrastructures, our, our, our gas and electricity supply, yeah. these are all instruments that have to be uh, risk managed with derivatives right now because there's you know there's been huge volatility spikes in 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 the markets post that war, and so yes whether we're as as day to day consumers thinking about them or not every product we purchase and everything we interact with uh, ultimately has a derivative trying to help smooth out its price and its supply. Brilliant. Okay, Richard, and the best way to get hold of you it's fairly straightforward. Richard Baker, B A K R. You're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, yeah. Um, and token vape, it is T O K E N, token, same word, O V A T V A T E, token vape. T O K E N O V A T E, yep, dot com, tokenvape.com. Fantastic. Richard, thank you for joining us today. And so it'd be great to get you back later in the year um, as you start interacting and rolling out the tech in, into that derivatives market because it's uh, there's a huge opportunity there, that I doubt. But, but thank you for coming on today. No, absolute pleasure, Johnny. Thank you very much for the conversation today. Really enjoyed it.